Good evening. Was well, sophomore year, 1988, the fall, I was playing football, and uh, it was National Kill a Softboard Day, as declared by the seniors. And the seniors were huge, much bigger than me. I know you wouldn't believe it looking at me now, as big as I am, but back then I was pretty small. And all the seniors were huge. They all outweighed me by 100 pounds, probably. And my dad always taught me that if the coach asks for a volunteer, raise your hand. Always be the first one to jump up because you're going to earn his respect and you're probably going to earn some playing time. Well, I had been scared all day because it was National Kill a Sophomore Day. I walked into the field house and one of the seniors was literally eating glass, trying to intimidate us. And it worked perfectly. We get out there, and it's time to do a tackling drill, and Sean White is lined up there ready to just kill somebody. And coach asked for a volunteer. I remember what my dad had said, but I wasn't too keen on this, you know, dying kind of thing. I finally jumped up front reluctantly, and he said, all right, McCurley, get in there. And I live to tell this story, obviously, but it hurt really, really bad. I can understand why someone is a little bit apprehensive to volunteer for some things. My dad sat in front of that television hoping that his number would not get called to go to Vietnam. He wasn't so lucky. I think if you would have asked him, he probably would have said, send someone else. We've all played the role of spectator at one point, but obviously within the church, we're looking to be participators, right? I have always challenged the congregation here to not be a pew potato, but rather to get up and to serve, because that's not the mantra of Oldham Lane, that's the mantra of Scripture, that you are to be a working part of the body. However, it's easy sometimes to kind of sit back and let someone else serve, to take on the attitude, here I am, send someone else. Last week we talked about the attitude, here I am, don't send me. And we talked about Jonah, who seemed to exemplify that attitude. Who in Scripture exemplifies this attitude? Here I am, send someone else. Can you think of someone? That's it. Thank you. You get the gold star. So we're going to look at Moses. Let's start in Exodus chapter 3, starting at verse 10. And now come, and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Assuredly, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, This is what you shall say to the sons of Israel. I am has sent me to you. So God singles out Moses for a very specific mission, to lead God's people out of slavery and towards the promised land. And listen, Moses was all in on getting out of slavery. He just felt like somebody else should probably lead the way. And so he comes up with some excuses. Did you notice them? Who am I? In other words, why me? I'm inadequate. I can't do this. What if? What if they don't believe me? What if they reject me? And God assures Moses that he has nothing to worry about. Why? Well, because this is God's mission. 
God's mission always succeeds. Now, I understand Moses may be being fearful. I mean, even we today, as we step out and do God's work, we can have a, a certain amount of trepidation about it. But if it's God's mission, it's going to succeed with or without you, right? And if God picks you, if he handpicks you, you should really be able to step out without too much fear, knowing that he is on your side. But notice chapter 4 now, verse 10 and following. Then Moses said to the Lord, please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. But the Lord said to him, who has made the human mouth? Or who makes anyone unable to speak or deaf or able to see or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then go, and I myself will be with your mouth and instruct you in what you are to say. But he said, please, Lord, now send the message by whomever you will. In other words, send anybody except me. So God is having a bit of a hard time convincing Moses. The excuses start to flow. He thought that God would let him off the hook by explaining to him that he wasn't a real a good orator. Of course, God responds by saying, yeah, I know, I mean, I made your mouth. And because I made your mouth, it's going to be okay. I mean, I'm picking you for this mission. I made you. I understand what you're getting into. And you got to understand that I'm going to help you through it. Moses suffered from a problem that I think many Christians suffer from today. And that is taking what we know and doing something with it, right? Moses' mission was pretty simple, pretty straightforward. You're going to lead my people out of Egypt. And we know the mission for us. We know it. It's pretty simple, right? To go into all the world, to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. We know that. We know it well. Any sermon on evangelism is going to be well received when you talk about what we need to do. But the rub is always in taking the knowledge and doing something with it. To know what to do is not the problem. To do what we know is where it gets hairy. And Moses was certainly in that boat. I can remember vividly talking to our players going into a certain game, telling them exactly what to expect, exactly who was going to be their leading scorer, who we needed to concentrate on, what they were going to do to us. This is not a brag on myself, but there was very few times I got into a game and didn't know what to do. But having the thoroughbreds to execute it is always the difficulty, right? Sometimes you have a bunch of mules and not a bunch of thoroughbreds, and you just got to make do, right? But very seldom did I not know what to do. It's just getting the kids to understand what to do. And before the game, so often the kids would be nodding their head, yes, sir, I understand totally. They get in the game and do it the exact opposite of what you told them to do. Because something about the competition, they freaked out, right? It happens to us. We get in the middle of things and we kind of lose our wits. We kind of you know, forget that, that God's behind all of this. Moses certainly needed to understand that while there may be some fear, while there may be some trepidation, he's going to execute God's will because God's going to make sure that it happens. What if something went wrong? What if it didn't work out? What if Pharaoh was offended by Moses and fed him to the crocodiles? What if the children of Israel laughed at him? Moses operated under the mentality of what if. And it kept him, at least in the beginning, from stepping out. And I think we've been in the same boat. What I've noticed many times about 
You know, stepping out in faith is you don't always know if it's the right thing to do or if it's the right door to walk through until after you walk through it. I'm sure you've noticed that as well. And it may be five, ten years down the road that you look back and go, oh yeah, so glad I did that or so glad I didn't do that, right? So many times it's after the fact. What if I share my faith with a friend and, and they shun me for it? What if I go on a mission trip to a third world country and I get sick and die? I can vividly remember leaving the airport in San Salvador to go into the mountains of, of El Salvador in La Palma, a three-hour bus ride, and you're going around these volcanoes in a bus the bus driver's playing 80s music and going 80 miles an hour around these curves. And, and my friend and I, uh, the only thing we could say is, surely, God, you didn't send us here to die. Surely you didn't send us here to die. There's, there's fear when you step out, obviously. But we can't be controlled by what if. What if I stand up for my faith at my job and it costs me my career? What if I volunteer to teach Bible class and nobody shows up? Then what, God? But you can't go through life with a what-if mentality. Because you've heard me say this over and over again. Playing it safe doesn't take risk. Uh, doesn't, doesn't, uh, playing it safe doesn't mean that um, you have to step out in faith, right? At some point, you have to take a risk. Over and over again in Scripture, we see disciples. We see people who took risks. We've got to have a risk-taking faith. Playing it safe doesn't take faith. So at some point, we got to step out. To obey means I'm ready. I'm, let, I'm ready to let God work out the details. I'm, le- I'm ready to let him answer the what ifs. I'm not going to negotiate with God. He set the terms, and I'm going to try to abide by them. I think we, we form this mental image of biblical characters. At least I know I do. We have this image in mind. If you've been watching The Chosen, now you've got it burned in your mind, this image of Jesus. Or, you know, if you watch The Passion of the Christ, you have this image of Jesus. Uh, I blame the movie The Ten Commandments for my, my imagery of Moses, right? I mean, flowing gray hair, strong, brave, courageous. Of course, it's even more confusing when you see Moses dressed in a suit doing commercials for the NRA, but, you know, my, my vision of, of Moses comes from Charlton Heston, you know, and you kind of get that impression, right? We have these, these preconceived notions about what these biblical characters were about, or we tend to focus on one aspect, but Moses was anything but brave and courageous, at least in the beginning, right? But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt. Moses didn't express the kind of courage and confidence that you would expect to see in a leader chosen by God. I don't have the ability. I'm not eloquent in speech. I'm not the right guy. I'm not capable. And God promises to, to see Moses through. In verse 12, he says, And he said, Assuredly, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign to you that is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. It's chapter 3 of Exodus, by the way. God promises his presence. And that should have been enough for Moses. It should be enough for us. It should be enough to dispel of the what-ifs, right? You know, God has always promised that he would be with us in the mission. The Great Commission. He promised the apostles, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Both in the Old Testament and over in the New Testament. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that you can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? 
God sees what we can do in Him, not what we can do on our own. God sees what He can do through us, not what we can do by ourselves. You think of all the unlikely heroes in the Bible, some of which started out like Moses. I think of Gideon. You know, you think of Abraham, you think of Noah, you know, the list goes on and on. You think of all these unlikely heroes. It's not about what they were capable or incapable of. It was about what God could accomplish through them. Moses moves from inability to inadequacy. Verse 13, then Moses said to God, behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? In other words, Moses says, what if they don't believe me? What if I can't answer them? We know that sentiment all too well, don't we? I can't do a Bible study with someone because I don't know enough. What if they ask me a question that I, I, I don't have an answer to? You know what you do then, don't you? You tell them I don't know the answer. And then you go find the answer, right? And if you don't know enough, do you know what you do about that? You go study some more, right? It's pretty simple. If I don't know, I'll tell you I don't know, but I'll go find the answer. And if I'm inadequate, I'm going to study to show thyself approved. And I'm going to work hard to gain more knowledge so that I can be the best tool, the best instrument for God that I can possibly be. God responds to Moses with these words. And God said to Moses, I am who I am, which is um, a testament to his no beginning, no end, right? I am who I am. This is what you shall say to the sons of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God reminds Moses that he's going to equip him, that he's not going into this empty-handed. Every time God sent a new word, he sent signs to accompany it, didn't he? Every time. So he sends Moses on this mission with a new word, and he sends him signs, right? Remember what he did? Throw that staff on the ground. Turns into a serpent. And pick it up again. Turns back into a staff. Put your, put your hand inside your cloak. Pull it out. It's leprous. Put it back in. Pull it out. It's, it's, it's healed. Anytime God sends a new word with a messenger, he sends signs to confirm it. Didn't he do that with Jesus? What was the purpose of miracles? To confirm the word, as John tells us. Mark tells us. To confirm the word, right? A very influential person in my life was a guy named Ralph Wallace. I've said that name before because he was the one that kind of sealed the deal on my salvation. So when I was coaching and my uh, superintendent was an elder in the church, this little bitty church in the country, uh, I started asking questions, and Ralph was the preacher at this small rural congregation, and he came over to the house one night, and you know, he told me that whole thing about, Chris, I, I don't have you know, Church of Christ doctrine, I have a Bible, told you that story, and uh, it's all you need, that's all, that's all anyone needs, and that just kind of resonated with me, that clicked, and that was the beginning of my you know, spiritual journey um, to where I'm at today. However, one thing that you need to know about Ralph is Ralph was in his 80s at that time, still preaching. Ralph never had anything more than an eighth grade education. I mean, he was dirt floor poor, and so he dropped out of school to work on the family farm. And as far as I know, he never got any other education other than the eighth grade. Now, I think he maybe took some classes along the way, maybe got his GED. You do realize that the apostles, as far as we know, had no initials after their names. You do realize that, as far as we know, they had no diplomas hanging on their wall from the University of Jerusalem. God can use you, even if you have an eighth grade education. He can use you. 
Noah probably felt pretty inadequate when given the mission of building that massive ark. Gideon obviously felt pretty inadequate going into battle outnumbered 450 to 1. Abraham, I'm sure, felt rather inadequate seeing as how he and his wife had no children, but yet they were going to be the father of nations. Over and over again, we see people who on the surface seem to be inadequate, yet accomplish God's great and perfect purpose. Inadequacy is never a valid excuse when the Almighty is on your side. So when God refuses to listen to Moses' bellyaching about his inadequacy and his, his inability, the reluctant leader then points to his inferiority. Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses said, What if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say, The Lord has not appeared to you. Moses was uneasy sharing what God had told him. And that can be uneasy for us too, sharing what God has told us through his word, right? Sharing the gospel, it can be uneasy. There will always be those who view us as a holy roller or some sort of Jesus freak. Moses' concern was that the people might think that he was lying. His reputation was on the line. I mean, it's a pretty bold statement that he would be making. And again, Moses becomes burdened with the what-ifs. What if they don't believe me? What if they call me crazy? What if, what if they embarrass me? Moses didn't want to put himself out there like that. Can you relate? But like we talked about last week, there cannot be certain places that we will not go. Where's your Nineveh? Where's your Egypt? Where, where are the places that you won't go. Who's your Pharaoh? Who's the person that you won't go to? Who's the person that you've just kind of said is off limits? Maybe, maybe uh, you know, I would never reach them anyway, so I've given up on them. Think about that. You may be the only one who is willing, and maybe you're not willing at first. You may be the only one still that goes to them. Are you willing to share the gospel? Are you willing to go to the place that no one else will go? Not everyone is going to appreciate our efforts. Some will be turned off. Some will shun us maybe. Some may even mock us. Others may disown us, but it is still our duty to preach the truth in love. It is still our responsibility to share the gospel. Moses wasn't crazy about going to Pharaoh, but he failed to realize that he wasn't going alone. Yes, he was going to go with Aaron. It's as if God says, okay, well, I'll make you feel better. I'll send Aaron with you. But he was never going alone anyway. God was always going to be on his side. Then Moses said to the Lord, please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. God said, who made your mouth? Seems that Moses tries to Point out that maybe he had a stuttering problem, maybe he had a speech impediment of some kind. Since Aaron spoke fluently, then Moses could tell Aaron what to say, and Aaron could be his mouthpiece. I don't know how that exactly worked. However, neither of them would be speaking on their own volition. In verse 15, God states, So you are to speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I myself will be with your mouth and his mouth, and I will instruct you on what you are to do. I mean, how much clearer could that be? I mean, God's telling Moses, look, this is a, an unjustified fear. I'm there with you. I'm putting these words in your mouth. I, I'm going to make sure that this happens because I'm behind it. Therefore, you have nothing to fear. It's an issue of trust, though. And maybe you've been there. Moses needed to trust 
in the presence of God. With God by his side, he had no reason to fear. He had no reason to default to the what-ifs. I mean, do you think a, a, a simple speech impediment is going to cause my will to not be accomplished? I think the next time that you want to use infirmity as an excuse, remember this. God used a donkey to talk to Balaam. He used a rooster to speak to Peter. He used an old sheep hide to speak to Gideon. I think he can use you. How many of us have ever said, if only? If only. If only I spoke better. If only I felt more confident. If only I were more talented. If only I had more education and training. If only I had more resources at my disposal. If only I had more time. If only. A lot of times we default to what if. A lot of times we default to if only. But how about instead of an if only attitude, we had an even though attitude. Even though I don't speak that well, I can still preach the gospel. Even though my health is not what it used to be, I can still be useful. Even though I'm not more confident, God can use me. Even though I'm, more, I'm not more talented, even though I don't have a lot of education, even though I am poor, even though I am busy, even though I, I, I can't do a lot of things that other people can do, I can still do something because there is no such thing as a zero-talent individual. And because God is on my side. A lot of times we want complete and total assurance Yo, God, work out all the details, and once you work out all the details, get back to me, and, and then we can negotiate. I don't have to tell you that's not how this works. Because it is God's plan, because it is God's mission, we're all in, or we're not. But only one of those is the best option, right? I love Oldham Lake. I love this church family. I thank God every day. For this church family. This is a special, special place. And I sure wish that you could go with me every time I go speak somewhere and people say, Oh, I love Oldham Lane. I visited there, or I watch your stuff online all the time, or, you know, the accolades that people give about this place. And it started with Jimmy Jividen. People love Oldham Lane just like I do, just like you do. This is a bright and shining beacon in a dark world, and I'm happy about that. I'm, I'm so thankful for that. But if the only thing that people know about Oldham Lane is that we have two worship services, and one's at 8.15 and one's at 10.30 and Bible classes in between. And then we have a Sunday night service and a Wednesday night service. If that's the only thing people know about Oldham Lane, if the only thing people know about Oldham Lane is that we're growing, if the only thing people know about Oldham Lane is that we have some great elders, if the only thing that people know about Oldham Lane is that we have a great youth minister, then we are failing. That's not good enough. If the only thing people know about Oldham Lane is that it's located at 5049 Oldham Lane, we are failing. Our mission is very clear. 
Not only is it clear in Scripture, we make it clear on the screen every week, and we put it on the front of the bulletin. Make and grow disciples. If we're not doing that, I don't care what other success we have. So, my encouragement to all of us is let's take this great thing that we have here and let's share it with everyone around us. I know you're doing that, but continue doing that. There's a time to gather and there's a time to scatter. We're about to scatter. And when you scatter, remember, you don't just represent God and Jesus. You represent Oldham Lane and you represent the gospel. Let's share it with anyone that we come in contact with. Here I am. We don't need to send someone else. We got this, right? Dave's going to lead us in a song. If we can help you in some way, if we can pray with you, if we can encourage you, I do understand that the way we do invitations at the end of lessons are not always the best. I mean, let's face it. Preachers joke about the walk of shame. It can be embarrassing. It can be difficult to make that walk. I'll be here after services. James, Royce, Larry, Chris, Clay, our elders will be here. Jack will be here. If, if you want to answer the invitation privately and come to us because you're really struggling with somebody, that's okay. And you know, some of you will answer the invitation two months down the road, and that's okay too. You'll ponder this, and you'll think about it, and and you'll want to come and talk. The door is always open. But if we can help you tonight with anything, why don't you come as we stand and as we sing?